All right, how's everybody doing on this time change Sunday? Everybody doing great? Yeah, uh, I have, um, I do have one prayer request, and that is that the legislation that stops this insane time change thing actually goes through. Maybe the leaders in Washington will actually do something that benefits us for a change. Let's, so let's just pray that, uh, that, that, that they do that. Um, before we get started here, I have to, uh, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And John mentioned the, uh, the winds. Anybody have any damage to their house? Maybe their roof got some shingles blown off their roofs or anything like that. Okay. Well, we had some major, major roof damage here at the church. And um, John and Donovan and I were at a ministry conference in Orlando. And I got a call from two of our elders because I was, you know, 12 hours away and building and all this kind of stuff. And they said, hey, don't worry about it. We'll handle it. And so Jerry Phelps and Adam Tipton came here on Monday and they replaced the, the shingles. They nailed them down. They were up there on the roof and everything. And they put in major work. Then Jerry came back on Tuesday and, and got it all done. So the reason the, the, the re, that you do, we have a roof is because of those guys. So uh, I just want to give them a round of applause. Thank you for doing that. They came here and did that, honor them, thank you. Two, two of our elders serving uh, in a way that you guys would never see, but I want to recognize them publicly. Thank you, Jerry and Adam. Not only that, but Jerry was also playing guitar, so whoo, yeah, all right. So guys, we are in a series called One, where we're going through Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, um, about what the church did after a huge revival. It's kind of amazing that we had a huge revival in Wilmore, in our county, and we're actually going through this. There were 3,000 people baptized in the days of Pentecost, which was found in Acts chapter 2, and then all of a sudden it shows what the church did. And so Acts 2, 42-47 is what the church did after that revival. They didn't just sit around and, and applaud and cheer on. No, they did this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the blueprint for the church. That is what we are supposed to be doing, and today we've been going through this series here, and, and I, wanna, I want to focus in on the things that everyone was filled with awe, many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, okay? They gave a demonstration, not of good-sounding arguments, but of the Spirit's power. That's what they did. That's how people were drawn. And, and when you say Spirit's power, everybody thinks, oh, miraculous healings and everything, and those, there were there, yes, but I want to uh, hone in on something else because not everybody here is a miracle worker. I've tried. I, I, if, if I had the power to, you know, to, to do the stuff that the, the guys on TV do, do you think I'd have a nose this big? Okay. I, do, I, do you think I'd be balding? Do you think my hair would look like if I had that kind of power? That's the first thing that would happen. So obviously I don't have that power. But guys, I want to clue in on what is behind the demonstrations of power, and that is the love that the church had for its community, the love that the church had for the people that were lost, the love that drove everything they did. That is the most powerful thing 
we have at our disposal. Not healings, not miracles, but love. And love is what is missing in our society and in our, our, our communities today. We've got a lot of everything else, but we don't have necessarily love. And so with that backdrop, uh, focusing everything we do, I want to get into what we're supposed to be doing. So when, when we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. That's why Jesus set up the church. It wasn't so we could sit here on a, in, in, in a in nice building and in, in comfortable chairs and hear a nice message. It was so that we could be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. And so, the, number one, the church is responsible for kingdom work only. Okay? If Jesus would not have done it, then we don't need to be doing it. Okay? That is, the, that, that is a filter. We, we've been approached as catalysts and, and, and asked to do many, many things, and all of them are good. All of them are good. Um, and we've been asked to use our church as a music venue to, to develop local musicians and, and, and maybe get some, some musicians that are in trouble, reach out to the kids. That's a good thing, but that's not what we're doing. We've been asked to give money for children's Christmas presents. Every, every year we have requests, hey, do you give money for children's Christmas presents? Oh, that's a good thing. We've been asked, asked to host, host craft bazaars. Hey, will you open up your building so we can have a craft, craft bazaar? Uh, we've been asked to sponsor local youth sport teams. So oh, that's good. My kids play sports. Been asked to uh, be substitute teachers for schools and, and everything uh, because they're running so short. And, and every single one of these things we've been asked to do is a good thing and may even be needed in the community. But that's not what Jesus came to this earth to do. See, Jesus came here for one reason, to seek and save the lost. That's why he was here, to seek and save the lost. He came here to save the lost and to disciple the committed. And if the church stops doing those things, we become a nice gathering of nice people doing nice things, but we're no longer a church. We've been called to kingdom work only. Remember the, 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 fo the, the uh, yearly theme this year is focus. Focus means elimination. Elimin you don't have to eliminate bad things. Those are already gone. We have to when you have to eliminate, you have to eliminate good things. You eliminate that which is good so you can go after that which is better. You have to eliminate the things you love so that you can go after the things you love most. That's what focus is, and that's what we as a church must do. That's what the early church did, okay? That is what we have to do. So if you are worried about not doing enough or, or you wonder, should you do this, ask yourself a quick question. Is it kingdom work? Is it kingdom work? I was challenged by, by an older pastor the day we started Catalyst 15 years ago. He said, listen here, if it isn't kingdom work, don't do it. If it's not building the kingdom, then it's not worth your time. Wow, what a great piece of advice to give a young pastor. And I want to pass that along to you. Um, so the purpose of the church is kingdom work only. The second thing that we do, what that looks like is this. We seek and save the lost. We seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 10, 19, 9 through 10. Jesus was at the house, house of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. You know, the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Sing along with me. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Oh, isn't Sunday school awesome? That is great. That is great. I love it. I love it. So, so he, he, he basically reaches Zacchaeus. 
And he says this, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You mean he didn't come here to make me feel good about myself? You mean he didn't come here to acknowledge my, my, my lifestyle? No. He came here to seek and save the lost. Um, when we were uh, at the ministry conference last week, we heard this really, really funny story about this tour group in Iceland. They were, they, the, a tour group from, I guess, different countries met, and they were touring Iceland. And they realized that one of their number was missing, a lady. She was missing. And so they called in a search party. They, they looked for her. They couldn't find her. And then they called in the, uh, the, the Icelandic equivalent of the state police, and they had helicopters and, and everything. And then after, like, about 3.30 in the morning, they were searching everywhere. They realized that the woman they were looking for was in the search party looking for herself. So she, she had changed clothes at a rest stop, and she didn't recognize the description of herself. And so she was looking for herself in the search party. And then after like, like six or seven hours, she realized, hey, they're looking for me. And she said, hey, I'm here. Well, my question is, guys, is that the church? Are we looking for people that are already found. See, it's very easy for the church to get focused in on itself because we have a lot of great stuff going here. We have a lot of great people here. And when people come in and they, they meet Jesus and they get into, into community and as they begin to live their lives together, it's easy to start focusing on the people we like and the people that we already know and the people that already look like us and think like us and act like us. It's very easy to do that. As a matter of fact, that is the default. That is the natural progression of the church. Unless leadership and the people in the, in the church actively resist that, that's what churches become. Every stagnant, declining church out there started off as a church plant bent on reaching the lost and making a difference in the community. And somewhere along the way, they lost their way and started thinking about themselves only. And they lost the mission of Jesus, which never changes to seek and save the lost. And if you think this isn't a problem, you say, oh, oh churches don't do that. Christians don't do that. Listen to this very troubling statistic that I heard last weekend when my son was preaching at Johnson University. 47%, almost 50%, one out of every two Christians that you know think that sharing our faith with the intent to change people is wrong. Not just I don't want to do it, it's wrong. Now, I'm, asking, I'm wondering, what Bible are they reading? How do they reconcile that thought with the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where it tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, where he said, my primary mission was to seek and save the lost. Do these Christians have the arrogance to tell Jesus that his mission no, is no longer relevant? That what you are here to do is no longer right. The arrogance that drips from that statement 
Guys, I know who I was when I was in high school. I was lost. I was not a believer in Christ. And I know the path that I was on. I look at it now and I shudder. I was bitter, I was angry, joyless, arrogant. All these things characterize the path that I was on. I was lost. And I'm thankful that somebody not in that 47% shared the gospel with me. And I wanna ask you guys, are there bitter, resentful, joyless people in your life that you say would never listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I was one of those guys. And I'm thankful that somebody shared Jesus with me because here I am. I'm wondering what Bible these people are reading. See guys, if you wanna change the world, you have to change people one at a time. And that is the strategy of Jesus. The gospel, we are here to seek and save the lost. Dream with me for a second, you all. What if every person in here, what if every person at Catalyst Christian Church, we average somewhere between 175, 200, 225 people every Sunday. What if we just had a goal by the end of this year, we've led one person to Christ. Is that too much for people that have the Holy Spirit within them, that confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that believe what Jesus said to do? Is that too much? Maybe we lay that out there as a challenge. One person this year what would happen if every single person in the church won one person to Christ? Church would double in a year. And then what if they did it the next year? What would the church look like? What would our society look like? Amazing, we are here to seek and save the lost. The second thing that we do is that we disciple the committed. Okay, we disciple the committed. Second Peter 3.18, but grow, Peter tells us, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever, amen. If you are the same person, if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for a while and you're the same person you were 10 years ago, there's something wrong, okay? Something's not right. Unless your name is Jesus, you aren't perfect. And so you should be growing, and you should be improving and learning and the things that you used to struggle with. There are things that you should have overcome by this point. Okay? I think that in the church, we use the word grace to excuse laziness. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent, you all. If my 24-year-old if my daughter was still needing me to help her tie her shoes and cut up her meat at dinner time, there'd be a problem, right? You're supposed to mature, you're supposed to grow, you're supposed to learn, and discipleship is no different. I wanna call out the complacent ones using God's grace as an excuse to not grow. I wanna lovingly, as your pastor, challenge you and, and say, listen, if your beliefs are the same things that they were 20 years ago, um, they, I, I, not all of them, obviously, but if, if there are things that you have not grown in in 20 years or 10 years or how long you've been walking with Christ, guys, there's a problem, okay? Christianity is like a bicycle. 
If you're not going forward, you're falling off. Okay, if you, it, we're called to a continuous process of growth, you all. If you're not giving more than you were 10 years ago, it's a problem. If, 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 you weren't, if you weren't any better at sharing your faith than you were five years ago, and if you've had no spiritual victories in the past year, then we have lapsed into this, this spiritual state called lukewarmness, and we're not taking discipleship seriously. Okay? And I understand that people are different rates of growth. There are people who are just brand new Christians and, and you haven't figured these things out yet. That's fine. We don't expect people in first grade to do calculus. We don't expect that. But if you've been in the church for a while and you have been a believer for a while, I'm going to lovingly ask you, have you been using grace as an excuse not to grow? We must be disciples. Okay, we must reach the lost and disciple the committed. That's what a church is here for. Those are the things, okay? Um, I was sitting in this, in this conference, and the, the worship was just incredibly moving. It was incredible. Some of the best worship leaders in the nation with like 2,000 pastors and church planters in this, in this building. And it was just like a picture of heaven. Uh, just worship and worship and worship. It was just incredible. And I... There were people around me being very emotive and, 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 and you know, they're raising their hands and, and everything like that. And, and, and I, I, I started thinking this, you all. This is, this is just, I want to share what God did for me, okay? This may be not for you. I just want to share what God did for me. It, I, I began to question myself. I began to question, Lord, I'm not, I'm just not emotive in worship. I, I don't, I don't really, the, the, the big rush just doesn't, just doesn't happen for me anymore. It did when I was younger, in my, in my 20s, and I was first introduced to worship music, and it just moved me so much, and just not doing that anymore. I, I, I said, Lord, does that mean that I'm spiritually falling off the wagon? Does that mean that I'm not on fire for you? Conversation that every person in here has had, believe me. And whether the Lord spoke a word to me or, or, or whether uh, I, I just kind of came up with this on my own, the Lord said, no, you're just a man who's found the path and you're content and you really love the path that I've laid out for you. And that's my, this thought in my mind is just, I cannot get it out of my mind. How satisfied and how content the path that the Lord has for us is. How, how, how amazing and how peaceful the, the, the path that God has for us. The, the, as you grow and you surrender more and more of your life to Jesus and you begin doing things his way and you stop resisting his word and you start doing things that he wants you to do, life begins to work out. You begin to have fewer problems because you're not stepping on your own landmines. You're not, your, your own actions aren't blowing up in your face. And you're not creating problems for yourself. How amazing the path that God has for us is. And that, guys, that's what it means to be a disciple. You just throw up your hands. You say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done trying to find a better way. I can't find a better way. Every time I step off your path, it's a landmine. Over here, a crocodile's biting me. I, I, I got to stay on your path. And when you stand on this path, you realize that you stop creating problems for yourself and you find the peace that God has for every believer. 
That's why discipleship is so important. I want you guys to join me on that path that I've found. I found the path that God wants for me, and I'm walking it, and I love it, and I just want as many people as possible to come alongside and watch life stop blowing up in people's faces. That's what it means to be a disciple. Then after, after reaching the lost and, and discipling the committed, then we get specific. There's a, there's a third thing that we do as a church, specifically, and this is it. We serve the widow and the orphan. Scripture is very, very important who we are to help as a church. It's not everybody. We do not serve every person that comes to us with a handout. It sounds harsh. Let me explain. We go to the Word of God. James 1.27 says this, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Like I said, focus means elimination. And we've had to do some hard work in the elimination here. Being a downtown church, we constantly have people that need help. Constantly. Um, 100% of the people that knock on our door for help, 100% are grown adults of working age. I've never been asked for money or help from a minor or from an elderly person. Never. And I used to believe that every person who needed my help was owed help. It was my job as a Christian to help every person that needed help. And then I realized for most of them, if not all of them, that I was working harder for them than they were working for themselves. I wanted their wholeness, I wanted their health more than they wanted it. And I was being taken advantage of. I had provided money and time and effort for them, and they provided little to none for themselves. How did I know this? Because the same people keep coming back, pouring money, time, effort into these people, and their situation in life never changed. Not once. And I realized that the church had become a welfare service, not a, not a, not a, 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 a way of elevating people. We were just trapping them in dependency. So I went to the Bible and found great wisdom in who to help and who not to help. The Apostle Paul flatly said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Imagine if we use that, just those words in our society today. If you don't work, you don't eat. In other words, Paul was saying, I'll work as hard as you will to the people that needed help. I'll match, not exceed your actions to help yourself. And there was one notable exception to this rule, widows and orphans. Children cannot game the system. Children and orphans are the one group of people that we will go, we'll work harder than they will. <clears throat> An orphan can't game the system. A minor's not capable of supporting him or herself. Therefore, we give to them, we support them. No questions asked, hands down. Okay? Uh, um, an adult of working age? Nope. We won't take resources from widows and orphans and give them to people that should be supporting themselves. The sign holders at the intersections should never get a dime. Usually there's a McDonald's within 100 yards of where they're holding that sign. We are not called to enable people that should be taking care of themselves. We cannot take the resources of the church that are designated for widows and orphans and give them to people who should be working. And that is a hard thing. That is a hard realization to come to. 
because it's awful. I hate telling people no. I've heard some great sob stories in my life about how hard it is, and I have no doubt that life is hard for these people that come and ask for help that are not widows and orphans. But if their situation is to change, they are capable of taking care of themselves. And we must focus, which means elimination. We eliminate people, not eliminate people, we eliminate help to people that can care for themselves so that we can focus on the people that can't. All right? So, because I would love to say that every person who knocks on our door who needs gas money or food money or shelter, whatever else, uses it wisely and is now thriving and doing great, and that's simply not the case. Okay? We help widows and orphans, and that's it. Everyone else, we can counsel you, we can pray for you, but that's it. You must provide for yourself. The Apostle Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. If we get back to that as a church, we will have a lot more people working and taking care of themselves so that we can focus on those that can't. The fourth thing that we do, we facilitate the means of getting the gospel to as many people as possible. Missions and church planting. We are not called to have a nice little church here in nice little Nicholasville, <clears throat> nice little downtown. We are called to take the good news of the gospel and tell it to as many people as possible, here and far. Right, Acts 26, 20, Paul said this, first to the, those in Damascus and those in Jerusalem and all of Judea, then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Okay, that is what we're supposed to do as a church. So we take the gospel and we move it outside of our church building to the people here as well as overseas. I, had, I got a great um, message this week. Uh, a, a, a young family in our church uh, who signed up for foster care uh, received their first placement, a two-week-old baby that needed a Christian home, needed a home where, they would, where she would be loved, where she would be uh, protected and cared for. Her name is Penelope, and she's in the Hurtax family today. And she's, like I said, she's two weeks old. She'll be making her appearance here soon, just not yet. But um, I thought to myself, taking care of the widow and the orphan, that's exactly what we need to do. That is the greatest means of reaching the lost. We have an entire ministry located next door in our children's building called Be the Village that is serving foster and adoptive parents because of this. This, this is the way we get the gospel out. We serve here. We take care of the foster. We take care of, 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 the, of, the, of the orphan. We have a ministry called Fathers in the Field where we're taking uh, boys that are affected by father absence and we're assigning them with a mentor father to, to, uh, to grow to, to, uh, with them and to teach them and to be that father figure. More and more research is coming out about the importance of fathers in the development of children. And we're providing that and, and providing a Christian man as an example to these fatherless boys. It's an amazing ministry. If you're, more, if you're interested in either Be the Village or Fathers in the Field, come talk to me because it is just phenomenal. Okay, We also take... Our, uh, we, we, we take our, our mission work outside of America. In, in the fall, 
I'm going to be taking a trip to Nepal. Some, some guys in the church are going to be going with me. We're going to be going on a mission trip to establish orphanages and, and, and everything over there in Nepal. Same ministry we have going on in India. The last time I was in Nepal, this is what happened. I, uh, I, I was there on, on a Sunday. It's, they have church on Saturday there. And on Sunday, they're having a healing service. And I thought to myself, man, this is incredible. I can't wait to see this. This is going to be incredible because I've heard of the great things that God is doing over in Nepal. It's that revival stage. I mean, people are coming to Christ right and left over there. And, and, uh, and it was really neat. So all these people, it's like something out of the New Testament. These people started showing up. One guy was in a wheelbarrow because he couldn't walk. He was, he was crippled in both feet, and, and he couldn't walk. He, his friend brought him in a wheelbarrow. And other people were, were on crutches and just showing up from all over the place. And then they unfurl a banner that has my picture on it. It says, Pastor Dave Kibler will heal you, or something like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, you, you, whoa, whoa, time out. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what? And, and Ruben goes, oh, yes, brother. We told that Pastor, uh, you know, uh, David Kibler was here from America, and he would be healing, so go. I'm like, first of all, buddy, you got a lot more faith in me than I do. Okay, second of all, I don't know what to do. I've never done this. In America, we go to the hospital. You got a hospital around here? He goes, listen, these people can't go to the hospital. They are the low caste. They're, they're not even allowed in the door. So either God heals them or they die. This is all they have. And I was like, wow, this is pretty intense. And I went back to my room and I got down on my knees and said, Lord, I am so out, far outside of my depth, you might as well ask me to be, you know, beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one -on -one basketball. I am so, I, I, this is going to destroy me, and they're, they're all going to look at me, and uh, they're going to say, what a failure, what a disappointment. They showed up expecting something, and I won't be able to do it. And that moment, God said, it's not about you. I'll heal who I want to heal, and I'll work in who I want to work. You be faithful and do what I tell you to do. And I was like, okay, well, that's what we'll do then. And so I found a scripture to preach on where Jesus healed someone, and I preached on that. And after that, the pastors, the, the several pastors there said, okay, everybody line up. Who needs healing? Line up, and the line went out the door. And they, they had uh, oil, they put on people's heads, and they prayed and move on. Oil, prayed, oil, prayed. Uh, everything like this, all the way down the line, tell you 45 minutes to do. And the first guy in line was a guy, an older man, who walked with a painful, painful, painful limp. One healed leg and one leg whose his knee was bowed out to about right here. It, was, it had either broken or he needed a total knee or something like that. It was, it was bad. He hobbled, you could tell every step was painful. And he was the first guy and prayed for him, put hands on him, and anointed him with oil, and moved on. And the Nepali pastors are these crazy people that actually think God works. And so after it was all done, the pastor goes, all right, testimonies, who's been healed? Fully expecting there to be lots of people there. And the first guy I saw was the old man jumping up and down on two straight legs 
Now, he did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He was a Hindu man, but he'd heard about this healing God named Jesus who could make all things right, and he hobbled his way to the church the first time he'd ever been in church. This was a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and I almost stopped it with my unbelief. I got to see things like that overseas, and I'm fully expecting to see more things like that. And you're like, well, Dave, that's incredible. I, I, I just can't wait to see it. But that just doesn't happen here in America. Wrong. I was, uh, last weekend, I wasn't here. Uh, last weekend, had a busy weekend. One of the things I did was I took my son Sam down to Johnson University to do a preach-off. Um, to preach, it was some scholarship money was on the line and, and everything like this. And I was watching him preach, and I was just like, oh, man, this is so bad. Uh, I, I, I was like, Sam, Sam, you use your, you know, use your hands too much, and, 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 and you, you said phrases like this, and you said, you know, I would have phrased it differently, this kind of thing, and I, and I posted a, a video of him, and everyone was like, hey, he looks exactly like you, you know, I, I was like, oh, it's, it's bad, no, I'm kidding, he did an amazing job, and I'm so proud of him, but one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to play soccer down there, so he got to spend the night in a dorm with a player from Brazil, plays for Johnson University. And he found out we were from Nicholsville. His eyes got really wide and he goes, oh, Nicholsville, is that, is that where Asbury Revival was? And we're like, yeah, that was right in our backyard. And he, and, and, uh, and he goes, well, um, something really crazy happened there. I went up there with, with some, of my, uh, some of my friends from the soccer team. I don't know how dedicated to Christ he was. I don't know. I think he was there maybe to play soccer more than anything else. But he went up to the Asbury Revival and he said, the, the Johnson University soccer team is going to Israel on a, on a, to, to play over there on a mission trip to Israel. He goes, I was really fired up about it. He goes, but in practice, I broke my foot. There was a hairline fracture in my foot, and I couldn't walk. And I was not going to be able to go on the trip because it was going to be about an eight-week healing thing, and the, the trip was in four weeks. He was a really bum because this is what I wanted to do. Probably him being from Brazil, is probably he's one of the better players on the team, Okay. And, and he goes, I went to the Asbury Revival. We walked in there. And he goes, they started praying for me. And he goes, I felt my foot begin to, I, I just felt this, this, this thing in my foot. And he said, when I got up, I was walking fine. And he said, when I went back, I said, I didn't believe it. He goes, I went to the doctor this is what he told us on Saturday. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, your hairline fracture is gone. Because there's no reason for this. It's gone. It's completely healed. And he looked at me like, what, the, what do I do with that? And I told him, I said, well, obviously God has healed you. And I said, the reason that God healed you isn't so you could play soccer. I mean, soccer's great. That's not why he healed you. To whom much is given, much is expected. And now he has healed you so that you can bring glory to him. That is why he healed you. He was not interested in you putting up stats. He is interested in your testimony to a group of people that no one else would reach. That's why he healed you. If you've been healed in here, not necessarily mean a broken bone. If you've been healed of addiction, or your marriage has been healed from when you and your wife were, or you and your husband were, were splitting up and, and God intervened. And you're here. 
He did not do that for your, for, 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 so you could feel good about yourself. He did that so that you would give testimony of the goodness of God to somebody no one else would listen to. Somebody that wouldn't listen to anybody else. That's why he does what he does. God picked me up as a, as a, as a bitter, resentful, angry, arrogant 17-year-old, and he saved me by the power of his blood. He saved me. He picked me up, and he changed. He changed. I surrendered my life, not so that I could feel good about myself, but so that I could devote my life to kingdom work and bring as many people to Jesus as I possibly can. Now, not everybody's called to full-time ministry, but if you have been healed by God, if God has intervened in your life, he has done something special for you. How many of you all have been blessed by God? He did not bless you so that you could feel good about yourself. It's so that you could give testimony to a lost and broken world to find guys like me who needed the gospel and bring it to them. That is why he did that, so that you could shout his glory to an unbelieving world. One of my best friends in high school, found him on Facebook, he lives down in Florida. About five years ago, he posted an album of pictures on Facebook of a youth group trip that he took when he was in high school. And we were laughing at the pictures, how stupid everybody looked, you know, the, 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 the clothing, oh my goodness. The hairstyles, big hair. And I said, I said, man, you went to church? You were in a youth group in high school? And he goes, yeah, man. I was at such and such Baptist church. And I said, man, you were one of my best friends. I said, did you ever think about maybe inviting me? And he goes, Dave, you weren't really the church going type. And I said, man, you knew my life was falling apart, though. You were in youth group every single Sunday night, and you didn't think to invite me? Man, I would have loved to have gone on this trip, man. Look, look at all the stuff you got to do. And he goes, never even crossed my mind. Didn't think you'd want, I, I didn't think you'd be interested. Wow. I guarantee there are people like that in your life, you think are not interested in the gospel. They're not interested in hearing what you have to say. And let me tell you as lovingly as I possibly can, you're wrong, okay? I know who I was before I had Christ, and I'm so thankful for the guys that saw somebody in need of Jesus and didn't keep it to themselves. The question isn't, do you have the right words? Can you articulate the, a brilliant argument? The question isn't even, do you have a demonstration of the Spirit's power? The question, church, is this, do you love them enough to share what Jesus has done for you? That's the question. Do you love them enough? And I hope the question is yes. As a church, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to a world 
that doesn't know him. That's our job. We're going to devote ourselves to a lot of things this week, all of us. Let me tell you something. In 100 years, the only thing that's going to matter are what you've done for Christ. That car that you have, it'll be in a junkyard in 100 years. The house you have will belong to somebody else. The clothes you have, oh my goodness, they will be out of style. Everything that you will do this week will be meaningless in 100 years unless it is kingdom work. That will matter. An old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the way that you have blessed each and every one of us. Thank you for the work you did in Marcelo's life. I pray that he turns that amazing testimony into many, many people, one to the kingdom for you. Lord, I thank you for the people that are doing the hard work of winning the lost and discipling the committed. Father, I pray that we would be a church that would make it extremely difficult to get to hell from Nicholasville, Kentucky. Lord, I pray because we're here, Satan has a lot of roadblocks to overcome. Father, I pray that you would reveal to every person in here who needs the gospel this week, and Lord, that you would give them the courage and the love to show it. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.